All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. I got news for you, pal. You ain't leading but two things right now. Jack and shit. Jack left town. Well, hello, Mr. Fancy Pants. What was that rocket? What rocket? I was just in my office and I heard a rocket. You can describe the rocket, sir. Does this mean we're not friends anymore? DJ Nubis, new episode 70, Big 7 for the Hordes of Chaos and the Military Radio podcast. Isn't that how old you are, 70? Yeah, some might say that. No. <laughs> I'm a young 20, baby. Oh, that's right. You're very sexy, and that makes me a cougar because I'm going after cougar a, hot, woman. a hot young man. Shit. So, DJ Nubis and I, I, we were just having a reminiscing day, and, uh, I found my old CD binder, you know, people as old as us, I know some of you young people don't remember them, but it was like this big book and you would put your CDs in it and take it to your car and stuff. And I found something that said DJ Anubis's show. People are like, CDs? CD, what are are they? Aren't those like coasters? Yeah, they're those plastic things. I still have a lot of my CDs, so does DJ Anubis. We, We love collecting things. We like keeping things. We have vinyls, we have tapes, so... But this was really an interesting find because DJ Anubis has been working, before he did his own independent podcast, he was working on a lot of live radio programs, internet radio programs, and this said DJ Anubis' show. And we're estimating this was probably from about 2006. Yeah, 2006 or seven. Yeah, so yeah. we popped it in and listened to it. It was only a, a short show because it, he did it live. And um, lo and behold, his intro is the same intro and this is probably what the 14th anniversary of the dj and that N- N- goes all like you gotta update i'm like no i'm proud of that he's intro. like it's perfect i worked really hard that's on my it. calling fucking card you know what i'm saying <laughs> you gotta have that shit but uh it was kind of funny because um i actually hit up the guy that owned the station at the time and told him that we had found like you know cdr this old show i had done i, I got a feeling i did that 
burn that because of the intro that I had made. You I probably think. just made it that day. Yeah, and it's I, probably brand new, and we wanted to see how it would sound in the car. And I, I had just gotten the, the red neon. And back then, in 2006, like that neon was like a very, very fancy neon, and it was like the... They used to do different levels that came out, like, factory, and it had, like, the surround sound, and we were, it was, like, that was, like, the first car I remember having that came out built with a stereo system. Now, pretty much all cars do. They have a nice, like, surround sound system. It has, like, I know my mom's has THX, like, the movie quality in her vehicle, and your car has a nice, nice, uh, he has your, your Fusion very nice factory um but back in the day you know if you wanted a nice system you would have to like purchase all of the components yourself initially when i did mine i think in the grand am i was it was about a five thousand dollar system so it wasn't cheap and remember I, I think a lot of these places are gone but i know best buy used to do it and there was like that Bryn Mawr stereo place that you you know that's where you went when you wanted a car stereo they would buy it they would you know, soundproof the trunk so it didn't rattle, and it was, I remember it, like, because a lot of the guys that I knew, even the guy I was dating back then, it was like, oh, I gotta get a new amp for my, for my subs, and I'm like, I don't even know what that means, but okay. <laughs> yeah, so we got a lot to get to today, um, we want to talk a little later about our, uh, adventures back down south with, uh, Krypton Scully and Melomania, so we'll get to that a little later, um, Obviously, got some topics to get to. A couple of docs that we watched, I uh, enjoyed. There's a series on Netflix that we are still trying to figure out, but maybe you, you all can help you us. You are well. trying to figure it out. I explain it to you every episode. I'm like, that's that person, and that's that person. And I'm like, is that that person? No! <laughs> uh, but we got an interview with Josh Hansen of Atomic Werewolf coming up soon, so we're going to actually get started here a little bit with some music first um i wanted to introduce a couple of bands in this first block because i am really happy to be playing them first one is eternal judgment uh vlad from arm to pit uh records who are promotional that sends this stuff to me uh, i wanted to just point out eternal judgment from um i believe i already forgot where they're from oh canada uh, I haven't had a chance to listen to their entire record yet. It's called Judgment Day from 2020. Um, yeah, but you messaged Bl Vlad, and you're like, holy shit, that Eternal Judgment yeah. is amazing. Yeah, so I'm really excited to check out the rest of that record. So I, I do have the title track with the play for you all here today. Uh, then also I was contacted by uh, Christian Larson uh, from Elevator uh, from Sweden, and uh, he sent me some uh, tracks to play for you all, and I've got a track listed in this block as well. Uh, I really, I some, really like that name, Elevator. Yeah. Uh, thrash metal. It's actually just a couple of guys, him and another gentleman named Pontus Hermanson. Uh, so uh, I think they've been around. This might be their debut. It's from, it's an EP called Sentence of Hell. So you'll be checking that out here soon. Then we're going to, of course, get to the interview with Josh. And let's get rolling. Here's Eternal Judgment, Judgment Day.
Leo Broadfield, and you're listening to Metal Tavern Radio. All right, DJ Nubis. And DJ Neko. Back with you on Metal Tavern Radio Podcast with a new episode of The Hordes of Chaos. And we are joined by a longtime friend and new member of the band Atomic Werewolf, Josh Hansen. How are you, brother? Good, good. Yourself? Hanging in there, man, and it's been a long time, man. I just I keep thinking about how long I've known you and how much years have passed. Like, I remember when I first, like, reconnected with you on Facebook, like, I didn't even know you'd gone in the military, so that was all kind of, like, new to me. Yeah, a lot of things have changed. <laughs> <laughs> God, I don't... Needless to say, in fact, it was funny because Neko was saying uh, to me last night that, uh, she, when we watched your interview with Metal Mania uh, a couple of days ago, and like I go, that's Josh, and she's like, it is. She's like, where's the hair flip? I don't get it. I'm like, well, I missed the hair flip. Yeah. That, was, that was gone a long time ago. Right. A long time ago, I was still in summer's end with that. Yeah. Like the end, I cut it off. Right. Um, but yeah, it's it's been gone for quite a while. Can't have it in the military. No. Yeah. <laughs> So, just out of curiosity, what uh, what kind of made you want to go in the military at that point? Uh, I was working a bunch of uh, bullshit jobs. Uh, nothing that was really uh, solid. So, um, I think the last job I worked at, well, I worked through a, uh, a temp agency at the time. And uh, for maybe about two years or three years... Yeah, and it was just constant layoffs. You know, I'd work for three months or four months and get laid off for two months, and then another three months and get laid off again. Yeah, I've been there. So they <laughs> finally uh, set me up with something, but I wasn't really enjoying it. I, I enjoyed the the solid work schedule mm-hmm. and the fact that I was able to stay there for. I think it was the longest I've ever stayed in a position through that company, but. Uh, it was about nine months or ten months, and uh, and then you know I was talking to my my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, and her both of her brothers served, and she was all like, "Well, if you're looking for something that's more solid and you know guaranteed paycheck every month for at least a couple years, then you should consider the military." And that's a whole different thing in a, in of itself because of tattoo policies. So right. Oh. I, went, I went through every branch and everyone was all like, no, you got too many tattoos. And the army was all like, well, screw it. We'll take you. Oh. I was like, all right. <laughs> not, <laughs> not my calling. Yeah, right. But it was a short calling, though. I enjoyed it. But, um, yeah, met a lot of good people. That's good. That's good. All right, so um, I know you talked about how, I don't know, I guess, let's see, what is it, we in, 2020? Yes. So 2015, from at least from what I, read, what I read a little bit, you had gotten kind of the itch to, like, get involved in a, a musical project again. So yeah. tell us a little bit how that came about and what were, your, uh, what were you looking for at that time? Uh, it was me and Carmen were talking uh, about doing something... Uh, you know, but nothing, it, you always bounce things off of people's heads, you know, I, I could have been talking to him and probably about like eight or nine other people, which ultimately had no involvement in the Atomic Werewolf Project, um, but it's just your, con- 
you're constantly, uh, you know, bouncing things off of people's heads and seeing what sticks right. kind of thing. And I think this this really stuck. He had a drive to to want to do something as well. Probably not as much as I did because it's been a while for me since I did any kind of musical project. I know he was still with uh, Johnny B. Moore, but at the time um, actively and. Uh, you know, I know he did some things with Michael Graves as well, um, you know, and some some other things uh, to keep him busy musically. And I guess it was towards the end of, of all that where, you know, he was all like, well, I have time now. <laughs> you know, let's try to find, like, you know, a bunch of other people that just want to do something just for the hell of it. And, you know, he, he mainly, he drove the ship on that one. Right. Uh, he he was the one that reached out to everybody. I think you know there were a few people I reached out to, um, but but nothing really stuck. Everybody that he asked, you know, pretty much stuck by it. I think there was one or two people he may have asked where they fell off towards you know when it got closer to us actually, you know, doing okay. something and recording ideas. Right. There were a few people that he asked that fell off, but yeah, I mean, he pretty much drove the whole ship um, as far as gathering everybody together and bouncing ideas off of them. Yeah, I thought I thought it was. Yeah, I thought it was kind of interesting that um, you know, with all the different people involved, like you had uh, Pat from Swashbuckle, uh, Paul Paul Klein from Gotham Rome. I know that Nicola and I saw Gotham Rome a few years ago. And Swashbuckle. And I think Graves was actually a singer at that point. Uh, Yeah. And then there's this other band that I kind of knew about a little bit through John, through Nomas, uh, A Gathering of None. So apparently a guy named TB was involved from that as well, which is pretty interesting. Yeah, he was in Blitzkid too, which uh, a lot of people know them from, you know, the horror punk scene. Right. But, yeah. Um, Yeah, Pat, uh, Tracy or TB... Um, then Kyle from uh, the Concubine and pretty much well, uh, he he was with Carmen the entire time of Carmen's uh, Johnny B. Morbid band right uh, yeah and Paul played in you know a ton of stuff diff- filled in for bands and played you know ridiculous amount of uh, shows with uh, so many bands so it's hard to name them all um, and I think me, think me and Carmen are the only ones that really don't have anything going on right now <laughs> right but just right now like you guys got to be a little creative with Atomic Werewolf so who knows maybe you can uh... well I know I talked to you a little bit online the other night and you know you you want to you kind of want to get more involved again with uh, Atomic Werewolf so you would tell me that maybe Carmen's already working on newer material or something like that yeah, possibly. It's been uh, it's been talked about and discussed, but you know, again with that, it's it's just time, right? With uh, you know, and it's not uh, you know, if it happens again, then it's not going to uh, you know, it might not even be the same people, right? It might be you know, different people, um, you know, or I I might if if it comes up again I might do that with them but you know if if a round three or going further than that wants to you know 
happen, then, you know, I might not even be on that. I, it might be like, you know, all new people. But that's that's the craziness about it. It's just, it's not a set lineup of people. It's like no telling who's going to be on it, you know. Right. Yeah, I, I kind of looked at the uh, the whole idea of Atomic Wolf, and I, the more I thought about it, it's kind of like the Frankenstein of werewolves. Like, it's so many different parts to it. And as you said, uh, going forward, it may actually be like a whole new group. It'd be almost like, you know, when Chuck from Death was like, introducing new members every album or whatever but i know talking with you that you know you don't you you kind of still want to keep doing something even if it's not atomic werewolf like you'd still like to go and collaborate with someone else if you could yeah i, I just love it i miss it i mean the last uh serious thing that i did was summer's end so and i stopped doing that in 2005 and like i had mentioned to uh the krypton scully um you know, I flew out to California and did two songs with them in 2008. Uh, was that the yeah, that, was that the that stuff was that um was sorry was that the stuff that they were kind of going like a little bit more black metal? I don't remember. That was at that time, but it was like the last show uh, that they did in California. Right. And the majority of the stuff that they did was with James um, at that show, and then I just did. Uh, Buried Near the Living Dead and Haunting Hollow Graves on that set. And that was it. Gotcha. So it wasn't, uh, it wasn't really like a full set. But the last time, you know, I was active with, with any bands or recordings or anything like that was 2005. Mm-hmm. That was, you know, I, yeah, we did a, a bunch of California shows that, that year. Yeah, I remember you guys being out there for a while in LA and all that stuff, so <laughs> And now yeah. you and now you're really getting the itch, you're like ready. Yeah, I mean it's it's my schedule's busy as it is with two kids, uh and my wife's in the navy now. Mm-hmm. Um I'm not in the military anymore, but uh I mean it it would just be fun. I mean, even if I, you know, found something to do and, you know, regularly applied myself to something other than work <laughs> right, <laughs> kids, right you need you know. it's good to have an outlet it really is yeah exactly and that's what i miss about it so, so yeah i know i was talking with you like this this project's been going on for a while and i know it's been i, mean, I can't i'm just i guess i'm curious like when i first talked to you like a couple of years ago when you started like you know show me some of the promo work that you guys were doing with the music why was it so hard to get off the ground at the time? Like, was it just timing, or? I think it was timing. We had a lot of issues with uh, scheduling recording sessions. Uh, there was a lot of, um, like, conflicting schedules. Right. Um, it was, uh, it, it was difficult, I guess you could say, because everybody else has their own thing going, so... Uh, like Paul, for instance, uh, when Paul laid down the drum tracks on it, um, he came down, I think, for just like a... He, he actually drove down both days, but he left his drum set up and uh, just drove down, uh, I think it was a Saturday and a Sunday. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he knocked it all out in two days. Wow. <laughs> and then... Um, and then, you know, everybody did their own parts, but it was it was scheduling. And then, uh, Len, who recorded the album, 
um, you know, he was doing things in between as well. So it, we weren't really a side, we were a side project of a lot of different things, but it wasn't uh, necessarily a, uh, a priority. I guess when it came to recording for anybody, I mean, other than me and Carmen, <laughs> right? That, that was the that was the priority right there. It was just you know we wanted to get it done, but you know with everybody else doing their own thing, it was difficult to to just knock it out as quickly as we wanted to or had hoped to plan or planned and hoped for. Yeah, that that can be a problem sometimes when you collaborate with people is that, you know, they got so many other things going on that they got to find the time and, you know, whether or not yeah. it's a priority for them. So, yeah, I, I can see where that would be an issue. Um, so, what is basically, like, I mean, I know you posted some of the lyrics from one of the songs the other day, but what is basically the lyrical content of Atomic Werewolf? Uh, it's a, a big joke. Uh, <laughs> a lot of... A lot of the songs, I mean, uh, if I run down the list, like, um, you know, there's lyrics about, like, not having Wi-Fi at Starbucks, and, you know, you have to, you know, get, you have to find a place where you connect to the internet so you could, you know, make this post on time right? kind of thing. Uh, you know, the Wolfman's Got Nard song is uh, making fun of uh, the Monster Squad kind of thing saying it's a shitty movie and the Goonies is better <laughs> <laughs> what else was there there's you know that the ending of Atomic Werewolf the title track was just a bunch of shit talking pretending that we're the Atomic Werewolf but they're talking shit to Godzilla saying that they're gonna beat the shit out of him and he's worthless and you know I don't know the lyrics are all over the place and uh, it was uh that that was also a big collaborative thing too. I mean, Pat had a lot to do with the lyrics. I, I can I can to totally see that. I can totally see that. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I I think Pat was the the mastermind behind the last track on the album, which is the uh, oh man, it's the epic the the epic song with the epic singing in it. I can't even recall the name of it off the top of my head right now. Yeah, I kind of like, uh, like, I like Wolfman's Got Nards, um, Meteor Shower, and Who Let the yeah, Cyber Attack Dogs. Yeah, Meteor Shower has, like, you know, one of the lines is a mode of, you know, you're surrounded by a mode of asses. Yeah. Uh, God, Wolf, Werewolf Dundee. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. have Werewolf, which is about a werewolf with alopecia, which I found out was an idea, I believe, from uh, Carmen's fiance. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean the lyrics are ridiculous. That I when I had did the interview for uh, for the Krypton Scully, I was telling them, you know, most of the well, actually, I can't even say most of the days. All the days, like I was dying from hiccups and laughing, and my cheeks hurt and my <laughs> stomach hurt. Just you know, you go in there for even four hours just to record you know, one or two songs right. in pain from laughing all day. Yeah, I don't, you know, I never really thought about that, but yeah, like, if you're a, a serious singer, like, you know, you do a lot of rough vocals and stuff, so it's like, 
I couldn't imagine trying to sit there and read these lyrics and then sing them. That'd be like, like with a clean, yeah. <laughs> right? You know, like I couldn't keep a straight face. Like it just—it's so ridiculous. How can, he's reading them and he's like, it yeah. took—it took four hours to get through it because they're laughing. So I get it. I would totally be laughing. Yeah. Yeah, it was—it was a lot of fun though, and I think that—that's something I've never experienced in a band before. Like you know, it's always been serious. Right. Uh, but this was just like a, a joke. We didn't know we didn't know how it was going to come out. You know, we didn't know what what the contributions from everybody was uh, were going to ultimately sound like when it was all put together. Well, you guys did an amazing job. Like, I love that record. Like, it's so intense and it, it's so funny and the whole concept yeah. is great. I just I really appreciate all the work that you guys put into that. Oh, uh, and if it happens again, you know, it's definitely going to you know uh gonna be the same vibe you know i'm hoping i, I would i would hate for it to be more serious <laughs> right you know, right i can just know, tell it, oh. have that sarcastic joke kind of band to it right i can just tell you how excited anubis was when you actually released it he's like you have no idea how long i've been holding <laughs> on to this and i wanted to share it with people for so long because it's so fucking good and i'm like well now you can yeah, it, yeah. josh was kind of like feed me morsels here and there early on and then <laughs> and then like he's like here yeah check this shit out and then i'm like i'm like dude what's the update what's the update and he's like you gotta hold off dude you gotta hold off <laughs> But yeah. yeah. Oh, I was happy. I mean, it it took forever. I felt like it took forever. Um, I'm. I know I'm not the only one. Uh, I mean, Carmen was getting emails all the time from people who pledged on the Kickstarter, like, "Hey, or are you ever gonna do this? Or am I gonna get my money back?" <laughs> <laughs> We're still trying to work on it. I mean, it took us. God, I think we completed the recording. It took us like two years to complete the recording. Right. From, you know, from the day that we started until, like, the final vocal track and solo was done on on the album. It, yeah, it was about two years it took to record it, which, I mean, if you add up the days that we were in the studio, it would have maybe taken us, like, two weeks or three weeks. Yeah. Like, if it was back-to-back, I mean, we would have had it done within a month, but, you know, with the scheduling and you know, people being not being able to make it. Uh, there were days that Len couldn't, you know, record us because he was unable to go to the studio. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, there were so many things that that prevented it from happening much sooner. But you know, if it happens again, I mean, we we learned from it. So if it happens again, at least we know. You know, it's probably not going to be a physical release next time. Uh, just, it, you know, there might be other things that are offered on the Kickstarter. Yeah. Uh, I know the Crypt wants a pair of my face on a pair of panties. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that shit's great. Uh, yeah, there different things like that. I mean, who knows? You know, but I know uh, one of the biggest things that we're definitely considering, if there's a round two, um, is no physical copies. Mm-hmm. So this this record's the only one that's really going to have a physical copy. I mean, who's to say what's going to happen later down the road, but at least so uh, we can get it out much quicker than this one. 
Right. Yeah, because I know you um, were kind of toying around with the idea, or at least when you were when I was talking to you, probably, I don't know, probably like a year ago, maybe not quite that far, but you were like, there was like, I guess, a strong consideration of actually holding on to this record and then releasing a new one together with it. So I'm, <laughs> so I'm kind of glad, I'm kind of glad that you guys didn't do that. So. Yeah. Release the second one before the first one. <laughs> yeah. The biggest troll, yeah. biggest troll job ever. You know. Yeah. <laughs> you guys oh, should totally uh, on on Krypton Scully's interview, we're toying around with uh, little action figures. You should totally uh, think about that too. Yeah, I mean that would be awesome to do. I know uh, Carmen said he was a fan of all that stuff. Uh, you know, I, I'm I'm happy. I I think I was the only one. You know, other than maybe the 20 or 30 other people that pledged on the Kickstarter for a vinyl, I was the only one that really pushed for a vinyl because I've always wanted something that I did on vinyl. Right. Uh, now that that's been fulfilled, I don't care how the rest of the shit's pressed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hoping to get my hands on some of that stuff for sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to definitely see what I could do and, you know. I'm already uh, talking to Carmen about getting you guys hooked up. So that, whenever I go up there, he's gonna. I think he's filling all the Kickstarter. Right. Uh, yeah, you gotta pledges. you gotta please all the other people. You gotta first. gotta give your pledges <laughs> their stuff first. But we yeah, just send us a link or yeah. whatever, and we were we definitely want some merch. Yeah. No, I'm gonna go see him. Um, hopefully, in a couple weeks. Ne- next week, I'm not gonna be around. Um, but I'm hoping the week after or the week after that sometime this month <laughs> right make right it easier. cool uh, sometime this month i'm gonna go see him uh he's gonna let me know what he has left over after he fills all those orders this weekend or this week mm-hmm. and then uh, i'm gonna have him put some stuff aside and then i'll i'll pick it up for you guys and send it down you the man <laughs> uh, so yep you guys you guys and Krypton Skull, you'll all get some shit. Nice. So, uh, yeah. as far, speaking of that, where, where can people find, like, your merch and your, uh, you know, Pop by the CD and stuff like that? I know Bandcamp has a, a page. I think it's yeah. under, I think it's under his name, though, isn't it? Carmen's? Or... Yeah, it's under Carmen's account for Bandcamp, because that's where he keeps all of his, like, Johnny B. Morbid stuff and everything up right. there is, is all through him. Okay. So, uh, yeah, everything could be, you know, could be uh, listened to or purchased. You know, Spotify, Amazon has it now. A bunch, you know, all those streaming platforms have it, but Bandcamp is the main area where you can order a CD or uh, or purchase the digital uh, copy of the album. Right. And it's under Johnny B. Morbid? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and I strongly suggest people go buy his record. It's one of my favorites of the year, in fact. Uh, we'll talk a little more later about it, but... Uh, we went to visit Krypton Scully last night, and you know, Krypton and I are kind of working our mid-year best of record, our records of the year, and you guys made my list. So, be looking that's for awesome. that down the future. <laughs> yeah, no, I, that's awesome. Uh, you know, and hopefully we can keep putting stuff out. You know, yeah. depending. Like I said, I'm on board. 
I know Carmen probably be on board. Um, and then, you know, whoever else, as long as they could write some badass shit, you know, mm-hmm. and, and we can make it fun and funny, you know, it'll be worth it. All right, man. Well, I, I definitely want you to keep in touch and let me know any other projects that you're involved in. I'm glad you're able to kind of get back in the swing of things with the music because I loved you back in the day when you were summers in. I was glad to see you're back in the fold with doing something else. So I know you're kind of interested to get out there and do some more stuff. So let me know anything you got going up. Awesome. Yeah, I definitely will. And, and we'll keep in touch for sure. Okay, buddy. Thanks for right. taking the time out for us, buddy. I appreciate it. Hey, thank you for having me. All right, man. Have a good day. Take it easy. Bye-bye. Bye. Awesome. That was a really good interview. Yeah, I just I, he, he was concerned because Carmen's the main brainchild behind the band. Mm-hmm. So he wasn't sure if he'd be able to answer everything. So some of the stuff I just didn't even worry about getting into too much because he was doing a good job with what he was saying. I said, well, you know, really for me and you... This is more like kind of catching up with you, so it's more just about the band, but also about you. It's like, he's like, oh, that's cool. I, you know, I think he kind of appreciates that a little bit. I really, yeah, I, I was Because he's really hoping to do more work with Carmen, but Carmen, you know, it's his project, so it just depends on what he does. And I, I know it's probably hard for them, you know, because it is so many different collaborators that they may not be able to like he said it was taking two years to get it done and everybody has lives and other projects and he's you know he's got kids i'm sure other people have kids it's- oh yeah well that's and that's the thing like i know when they were talking with kurt and scully you know <laughs> kurt was like well i'm sure you guys are looking forward to get out there and touring but these guys aren't designed to do that that's not what this project's about this is guys who are just using this to kind of use this as an outlet mm-hmm. that they can collaborate and just create music with which I think about it more. If I ever had, like, any musical talent like Josh or any of those guys, like, I probably would not be a touring guy. I can't do it. It's not something I'm interested in so much. So, for me, I'd probably do more stuff that's, like, just write and put it on, you know, the internet or whatever and collaborate with people. That's basically what I'd do. So, a great interview with Josh Hansen, a longtime friend, and now... Uh, collaborator with Atomic Werewolf. Uh, if you have not heard this record, get out there. It's a lot of fun. Melodic thrash. A little bit of the. They bring a little bit of everything into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Clearly, they have they, they have like a really cute. I hate saying cute, but they have like a really fun concept and something that maybe you know, oh, like horror people could get into it mm-hmm. and people who appreciate movies it's, it's just kind of like a neat concept well you could just tell that one like the video they had for the mosh uh you know it's they're having a lot of fun like it's not something they're going to take uber serious and you're just out there having a blast with it so that's what it's really all about and so we're going to get into our next block here um and we're going to kick it off with some atomic Warwolf for you Figured I'd throw in a curveball here. This is one of the other tracks I like from the record. It's called Curse of the Crown, and we'll be back in a little bit.
Hi there, this is Rhino of Enclave and you're listening to Metal Tavern Radio. Check this out. DJ Nubis. DJ Neko. Back with you on Metal Tavern Radio, Horde of Chaos, episode 70. Good stuff there, Karak Igran, new stuff from them, Stone for Solitude. So, so we ended up visiting Krypton Scully last night. Yeah, for the well, day. Uh, no, not last night. We for went the there day. at the at the very early morning. Well, not very, like ten o'clock. We got there about ten thirty. All right. And uh, they live about an hour and fifteen minutes south of us, which is not a big deal. We I had off of work. Scully had off of work. Anubis and Crypt had off of work, so we thought, what would be more fun than having our day off all spending it together? Right. And, of course, you know, part of the thing is, like we talked about before the last block, you know, um, when we were interviewing Josh with Atomic Werewolf. Thank you, sir, so much for that. Um, you know, Crypt and I are working on our mid-year best of stuff and so we were actually down there what two or three weeks ago a couple of weeks ago it was a, it was a friday afternoon and usually on fridays i get out early so we were able to leave and get down there before hitting any you know commuting traffic right so basically we didn't get much done that day and so we just hung out we were just happy to see each other right and that's the thing like we that was the first time we'd met them in person and then of course we got down there yesterday and we didn't even get started on our stuff till like three in the afternoon. We were because we were like hungry. Two. We had to order hungry, food. but you know we were talking again. We just we get with these two, and it's like we just want to hang. That's and really it's like it we've been old friends for a long time. Right. We all have this connection as friends, and you know we all support each other's shows. And but we did get some stuff done. We you know I know that Crypt and I have got some of our stuff set up for that. Uh, special segment show he's got going on with the uh, best of. So we got some of that done. We didn't get quite everything done we wanted to. Well, we did a couple of our. They're they're experts with the um the, the video editing video right. editing. So they're like just say a few things and we said them and then like you and you and Crypt were like you had you were collaborating on like your favorites you had a few crossovers and you're like okay well we're gonna this is what we're gonna play and this is the order we're going in so you got a lot of that done and that's right. that's the hard part right there just being organized and yeah we just you know we had to kind of buckle down and get some of that stuff done we got a couple of our little basically liners for them done and you know we're happy to do that of course uh Part of it was Scully had had a rough night before, so she was kind of toughing it through while she was there. Yeah, if I would see Scully's a better woman than me, I'd be like, get out of my house! I'm... <laughs> I don't feel good, there's too many people here. I don't want anybody, I hate the world. <laughs> so she's a trip, silly girl. Um, but they're a lot of fun, and you know, really, literally, like, you and I could probably just spend days like just hanging with them and just having a ball. And, and that's, you know, we did anything. that. Like we had, we had wings and then we chatted and you guys got all set up and you know, it's really cool. Like their, their setup uh, in their studio is, is really professional. Um, everything that they have, I'm like, Oh, Oh yeah. They, they, they're like on a whole other level than we are. <laughs> Let me tell you. 
Uh, and they're really good at it. So, like, you know, they just, they got their shit together. And it really, they were, it was funny because Crypt was kind of showing us some earlier episodes when they first started. And, it, you know, just like us, it, it's all, like, growing pains that you kind of go through before you kind of find your groove. Well, Scully, actually, she learned how to do a lot of the production and the technical stuff just because, like, she would watch the people that, you know, they were paying to do it, and she's like, I can do this. I We don't need to pay these people $400 or whatever it was to, to do all of this work, and she... Especially you know, when she thought they weren't quite doing the, how much they were worth, mm-hmm. so she was like, you know what? Yeah, let's just do this ourselves. And they, and I mean, they've, she's learned a lot, like, with, it's, yesterday, like, they're setting up stuff, and she's just like, oh, this, this, and this, and, and, and Crip's like, oh, yeah, Scully knows how to do all this stuff. Yeah, he was trying to set us up, and he's like, you know, I just, I gotta get her moving, because I can't do this without her. <laughs> so, yeah, she's an integral part of that show. And uh, I did have the pleasure, though, of checking out her blooper reel from Valentine's Day. That was which cute. Was amazing. So amazing. She's like, blah, 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 blah. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and then she does her little zen thing to reset. <laughs> fuck, fuck, fuck. Fuck, fuck, fuck. She had Tourette's or something, you know. She was really fun. It was adorable. Yeah, she was great. Um, so, yeah, it was fun visiting them. So be looking out for uh, our little collaboration down the road it should be within the next couple weeks i think that chris said he's going to try to get it done uh in other news um i found a an article on this site called little white lies and i just thought the topic was interesting i know i've seen like these this series on shutter i haven't watched them because i they're not necessarily horror per se but they're they're based off this series called scorpion it's all based around this female prisoner and she deals with violent women in prison and of course you know it's back from like the 70s yeah it was what was it called Uh, a woman well uh, it's called blind woman's curse and stray cat rock well those are roles that this particular okay 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 yeah so miko kg i believe or kaji she's the one that kind of stars in this um but yeah, the Scorpion series, there's like, I don't know, five or six of them on Shudder, and I just never really sat and watched them. Uh, but apparently it had a bigger impact than what even I thought, because like, one of their points about all this is that uh, this kind of series and this actress and everything kind of paved the way for the modern female action hero. So we're talking even before Ripley and Alien. Mm-hmm. So uh, I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, Obviously, this is, like, during the whole, like, exploitation uh, uh, time of the 70s and stuff. So, you get a lot of, like, uh, violence and nudity and stuff like that. So, uh, that's sort of where it kind of fits in. But KG apparently is, like, this big feminist icon because she really becomes, like, this badass throughout the series. And is, you know, laying waste to all these assholes <laughs> fucking with her. So... Uh, it, it's a great, uh, nice little article. Like I said, it's on this little white lies. It's lwlies.com, and then if you scroll down a little bit on the page, you'll find it's the article about uh, Scorpion, and it's pretty cool. I just thought it was interesting. So now you might want to actually check this stuff out now that you've got kind of like a, a, a backstory and right. you understand the influence of this woman. I mean, without 
things like this in the 70s and then you kind of like jump to Princess Leia and uh, Ellen Ripley and um, they were mentioning Sarah Connor but then you, you kind of run into like uh, think about like Kill Bill you know mm -hmm. the, you're starting to see like the type and in Kill Bill it's a ton of you know strong female characters right there just and it's the same style of uh, of a uh, flick the action so I, I often I, I think it's important that with these type of movies sometimes maybe it may, while it may not be like your favorite thing to watch or whatever you might want to just kind of watch it once so you can kind of appreciate where some of our uh, current you know female leads are coming from in the past yeah there's always that debate about you know horror like whether or not you know the jamie lee curtis's are actually role models or strong female leads and i think they are we kind of notice it with the last halloween movie where curtis is you know much older now but she's still playing like that strong female lead and but i hear a lot of times you you get into these feminist groups and whatnot and they're like well they're not horror is really not a feminist movie I'm like well maybe not the way it's put together but the character itself is the one that generally survives so you know, really, the last girl right final girl right and we see that all the time like and it's you know yeah you got your boobies and everything else in there but that's really just a side that's like the window dressing to everything else that's going on like the fact that these women in these films are able to overcome the odds that they face is pretty impressive so uh yeah, I just, you know, and I, and I haven't checked out the Scorpion system. Maybe that is something we will start to do at night if I can make sure that they're all in order. Like, I, I'm not sure how they really run. So that's part of the thing. I just got to figure out what order they're in and make sure I'm getting them in a the correct timeline. So, yeah, cool. Um, all right, so we're getting ready to jump into our next block here. Mm -hmm. uh, we're going to kick it off, though, with uh, Nolan Voids. Brand new track from Screaming Into the Void. Uh, I've actually been talking with him a little bit, so we're going to try to get an interview lined up next week to talk with him because we're going to start doing that more and more. Try to anyway. Mm -hmm. uh, so he releases a new song, Ascent, and one thing I know about Nolan is he's gotten so much better as he's been putting out his tracks. Like He's part of this other band now called Persecution Complex, and they just released their first single. So he's kind of getting the itch to go out and do a little bit of shows with them. Uh, but uh, Screaming to Avoid is his own project. It's his, it's his own project. Right. So he's been putting out these singles here and there, and every, with either one, they get better and better. And I'm, this is my favorite one from him so far. And so hopefully we can hook it up uh, next week to talk with him a little bit about get some Get a little of this insight stuff. from his projects. Very good. Yeah, you know, I mean, he's a guy I've really been uh, interested in because I met him through the Godzilla group, and we're both big Godzilla fans. Like, That's how you met him? Yep. That's insane. Right. So we got a lot to, to talk about if we can get the hookup with them. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, but we'll kick it off this next block, and it's Screaming Into the Void with Ascent.
metal band Pokerface from Russia and you are listening to Metal Tavern Radio. Alright, DJ Nubus and DJ Neko back with the Meltdown Radio Podcast. Getting ready to hit our rock block for today. The rock block. Got different stuff. Uh, got some stuff in there from Vlad again. Uh, Inverse Records, Atomic Stuff sent us some stuff. And I can say that about 20 times fast. <laughs> um, also got Neko's Pick of the Week, which is actually one of my favorite songs as well. So. I did not know that you liked this song so much. Yeah, it's interesting. I'll get to it when we talk about it, but uh, it's kind of interesting. Um, so, yeah, we got the rock block coming up here. We got some cool stuff to talk about later. A couple docs, uh, a series on Netflix that we talked about earlier, which Neko can't seem to get a grasp on, but uh-huh. I have total grasp on that, because I'm smart. Hey, I have to, I have to like, go when we watch that series and, and look at the cheat sheets half the time. I'm like, alright, I know what's happening. They purposely do that to fuck with people. Like, I can't, you, like, literally, we'll get to it later, but you can't drink or anything when you watch that thing, because you'd be lost forever. Like, I can't even do it sober. I have, I'm gonna have to go back and, and re-watch, yeah. like, after we do it. <laughs> Rewatch it all again. Right. All right. So let's get moving. Um, first one I got for you is a band called Whale. Um, w A I L. Yeah. Vlad sent it to me. Endless repetition. I thought it was pretty cool. Check it out, folks. We'll be back. <laughs>
Do you live life in the fast lane? Do you have the need for speed? Well, if you're a racing fan and want to be a part of a winning team, then contact Carmichael Racing. Carmichael Racing is currently looking for sponsors for the upcoming champ and flat card season. You can be a part of a long tradition of racing as Paul and Rhea L. race to the finish line at Mardella Speedway at Diamond Head Arena in Gillsburg, PA, March 13th through the 15th, 2020. They will also be racing at Hunterstown Speedway and Capital City Speedway in Ashland, Virginia. Racing runs deep in the blood at Carmichael Racing, and they are looking to gain sponsors for a new upcoming season. If interested, you can contact them at 443-202-3016. That's 443-202-3016. You can also find them on Facebook at SRChamp36. Carmichael Racing. Together you can soar as the engines roar.
Spotlights, The Age of Decay. Love that record. That's pretty, it was a pretty, like, uh... Yeah, I'm kind of bummed that we didn't go see them when they were in uh, Baltimore about a year or so ago. They were Where there. were they playing? Uh, I want to say Hippodrome, but it's not it. I think it's somewhere down that area, though. Uh, some sort of venue down there. Uh, some Hippodrome odd. is really expensive, though. I don't. I, I don't think it was the Hippodrome. Um, but it's somewhere in that area. I can't remember the name of it, but I remember seeing it being advertised. And like, oh, we gotta go do this. And of course we didn't. But it shit happens. We end up all the time. But what I do love about like, even though I have the craziest schedule on the face of the earth, when I'm home, that we purposely now we can't because of stupid COVID. But you know what I mean. We purposely <laughs> are like. COVID. And what you saw when I first got home before the COVID thing got out of hand, like, we were, we went to see, um, we, when we were in, um, D.C., where was that place above the pie shop that we went to see Nomas, and, uh, oh, I, don't remember I forgot the name of the place, but it's above the pie shop, um, right. like, we really tried to, like, we were getting out there and visiting, and then it's like, stay at home order by the governor, and everything got canceled, even... So, like, we were supposed to go see Devin Townsend down at, um, Soundstage, and then it got pushed to September, and then, like, the other day, I just got an email saying that it's been canceled indefinitely with no uh, future date yet. So, part of that is because of travel restrictions still, and Maryland is still only in Stage 2, and they're not anticipating that we will be in stage three which allows large gatherings of 250 people or more so we don't know when we're gonna get back to concerts i feel really bad for the entertainment industry i feel really bad for the movie industry i mean even like broadway up in new york they, they have canceled everything to 2021 they're not even trying to sell tickets right, right now because they're like then what we, we we get another order that we're you know just this weekend in Baltimore, three bars have had to shut down because of coronavirus that their employees tested positive with. And then Delaware, which is right next to Maryland, they're like, you must wear a mask even if you're on the beach. Like, they have their... People are going on vacation and getting a little stupid. And they're not, you know... Well, that's the thing. Like, you know, they say, okay, we're going to open things back up, but we're going to do it kind of slowly. But people don't pay attention to that. They're just going back to, like... Well, this is the bumping thing. into each other like it's nothing wrong but. when when we first you know they're like you and i are not like panickers at all like and i even said i probably was in in contact with it way before anybody else was because i was over in asia when it, when it came out but people are forgetting to wash their hands regularly like everybody was doing a month ago people are forgetting to use their hand sanitizer regularly like everybody else was doing like i'm just a hand washer in general i hate when my hands are dirty so like if you're out and about, come wash your hands. It's like anything else. Like, you know, after 9-11, we all got, as a country, got more strict on security and airports. But now, like, we might still have some of that, but it's not like it once was. Like, they're not checking every person that comes through the thing. I even have, like... Uh, it's a random pull. Like, I literally watched one time when I went to fly, and she knows how I dress. I was in a t-shirt, shorts, and actually it was, like, vans. And, little slip on things yeah and someone ahead of me had like two bags and baggy pants and jacket on and they walked through they let they let the security let them walk through and then they stopped me even had me remove my shoes and i'm like 
what am I going to hide, dude? Like, <laughs> Right? So it's really just kind of nonsensical with some of the stuff that goes on, and it's just crazy. Right Even now. outdoor things, like I, I'm just chatting with a couple girl, girlfriends, a friend of mine getting married. Uh, she's they're trying to get do like a little bachelorette party type thing, and they're uh, going to a winery, and the wineries, like a lot of stuff is outdoors, you know, at the wineries. But they're like, oh, we can only have like a group of so many, and you know, we're at fifty percent capacity, and like usually wineries would let people under 21 come in because they do have like bands and stuff and you know you've been to things with me before where they have you out on the on the yard and then they'll have like a little stage set up no one under 21 no kids 50 percent capacity it's all like very you know cut and dry and you know everybody's trying to get back to normal but nobody wants to fucking listen so then you ruin my Devin Townsend concert <laughs> Yeah, twice. <laughs> twice, twice now. <sighs> no, he'll have he'll have fucking two new records out by the time I get to see him. Well, again. and that's the other thing too. Like part of that for him is he's only in Canada, but like we're still being really strict on people flying and coming in and out. Um, so I don't know if it's hard for them to get their visas back together for the American tour. So it, it really sucks. Like altogether, the entertainment industry is really struggling. Um, and kind of makes me a little sad. It feels like a shift in normalcy. Like, I'm actually hoping, this is going to sound really crazy, but um, back in the 60s, there was a flu that they literally just called the, the Hong Kong flu because it originated in Hong Kong. Racist. And, well, <laughs> not being racist, but that, that's what they called it back right. in the 60s. And um, some people that I work with said that they remember the Hong Kong flu. And yeah, it, it came to the U.S. and all, but now with international travel being a little bit more prevalent, every, you know, it's it gets here faster than what it did back then. And they kind of said to me, like, it was almost identical to this, the, the symptoms. And, and after it kind of made its pass, it kind of went away. So I'm trying to be optimistic i'm not not taking this seriously i'm listening to whatever they tell me the fuck to do but i'm just being using common sense washing my hands etc and i'm hoping that this will just pass through and go away and then we'll never I'm, have to be I'm, I'm pretty sure it's gonna be the same way like i said i was talking to you about the other night like sometimes stuff like this needs to actually just pass through people so that we can build up an immune mm -hmm. to it you know because uh, that's how shit in the past worked like you can't beat everything obviously but Certain things that human beings have had to deal with in terms of colds and whatever, we've actually had to develop immune systems to them over time, and that happens. I mean, even even look at, like, the common flu. Every year, people get sick and pass away from it. Shit, like, if, you know, underlying conditions can always, you know, exasperate things. So, and, and we have a, a flu vaccine that we get, I get, uh, you know, every year, but I mean, like... I've never personally had the flu, so I don't even know what it would feel like to have an onset of the flu. I'm like, oh, what? Uh, I can't even... So... Anyway. Anyway. <laughs> we're, we're rambling. We're way off topic there. We're just, I'm just pissed off about Devin Townsend. That's, that's how this all started. Anyway. So back at it with the rock block. Here yeah. we are at... Um, Echo's pick of the week. My pick of the week. So, back in the day... And I don't know if people do this anymore, but, like, 
there was there's a couple of bars and stuff around this area that were smaller and they also served food and stuff because there was tables and all there's this one around here called corral inn and they had amazing hard crabs if you're not from maryland and you don't know like what hard you know maryland blue crabs are with the seasoning and my parents you know my sister and i were like young maybe 10 11 years old and they would take us there because they wanted to get crabs they wanted to play keno and you know just hang out well this place you know they would let we were allowed to go there but like kind of there was like a dividing line where the bar was and we had to stay on this side and i guess back then the the rules were a little bit more lax with bringing children to it, it really was a bar but like anyway they had this really cool jukebox and it's not like jukeboxes now where it's all done through your phone on an app and it, you know you had to put quarters in it and I knew very few of these songs because it was all classic rock and this is like the early 90s and my mom you know she listened and my dad too listened to classic rock and I just started picking random songs and I picked this song and I'm like this is a really fucking good song and my mom's like yes this is I didn't say fuck it 11 but you know <laughs> I was like this is a really good song she's like yes you know who this is this is Paul McCartney he's from the Beatles you know you know the Beatles this is his band wings and I'm like yeah okay so this yeah. this kind of became like every time we would go there it would be our thing we'd order crabs order dinner and my mom and dad would give my sister and I change and I would go and play music on the jukebox and this is how I literally discovered the song band on the run like as an 11 year old you're more interested in new kids on the block but well the interesting for me was like you know you you were kind of a big Beatles fan and mm -hmm. I do like the Beatles and you know the funny thing is most of my Paul McCartney memories are basically what happened in the early 80s when he was doing duets with like Michael Jackson and stuff like or Stevie Wonder so when it came to realizing like one of my favorite Bond movies, Live and Let Die, him being the the brainchild behind that song. You fucking love that song too. And understanding that that was actually part of his band Wings, while well, Band on the Run is the same thing, is a part of that. So I find that Wings is actually my favorite like so-and-so project of Paul McCartney's uh, as far as his works and then probably the Beatles and then whatever else. Like I didn't mind his collaborations, but he got... He was taking advantage of the, the 80s pop scene at the time, so that made sense. But, yeah, so the stuff with Wings, I find that just are more in line with what I liked with the classic rock vibe. And basically, at the time, like, again, Live and Let Die is, like, my favorite ever track from him. So, but this, this song's, like, close behind. Like, it, it has a nice transition where it starts out one way and then picks up. And it, well, they've got a couple of them like that. Uh, he, what was that? Uh, Hands across the water. Right. Yeah, that one too is very similar to Band on the Run. And so it was interesting to see how like a young 11-year-old could appreciate the uh, complexities and can spot something where it's like, yeah, this is not a bad song. And then again, this is like early 90s, so like 91, 92. Um, the song is already a, what, mid-70s song? So mm -hmm. it's already, you know, quite a few years old, but it's still, to me, in my in my head, held up as a it's good rock... Timeless. Timeless, held up as a good rock song. Um, 
same thing with live and let die i could have i could have done live and let die but i went with this one um mainly because it was my first introduction to wings like yeah. clearly after wings uh band on the run i i started like diving a little bit deeper by buying um a, a CD or a cassette, I can't remember which one it was, of Wings, like Best Hits and... Probably then, it would have been cassette. Probably a cassette, yeah. It was, it was, or it was like 91, 92. And so yeah, CDs had just come out then, so that might have been... I didn't have a CD. Well, 92 I had a CD player, so it was probably through like Columbia House or some <laughs> shit. You remember that? Yeah. One penny gets you 18 CDs. Just buy three down the road. Mm-hmm. Never mind, you have to send them all back if you don't want that shit. God. That was a ripoff. We could talk about that one. We... <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, here we go. Neko's pick of the week. Wings, band on the run. Audio jump. Attention, please. Be prepared for a musical transformation that you've never felt before. We will bring you on a journey like there's no tomorrow, and we will break new ground. Hailing from the land below the wind. Ten, nine, eight, seven. DJ Neko's pick of the week. On the need is a fine today 
miss tonight's episode of... for a place to take care of all your automotive needs? Then get in touch with Stauffer's Auto Service in Millersville, Maryland. Stauffer's takes care of all auto repairs, auto service, and great quality parts as well. Stauffer's is located at A328 Veterans Highway, Suite E in Millersville. 
Be sure to call and check out all their service specials related to your automotive needs. Stafford is a professional, friendly, and is highly qualified mechanics to do excellent work with prices that are fair and much better than what you will find at other automotive places. So call 410-729-0121. That's 410-729-0121. And tell them the newsman and his trusty sidekick, Neko, sent you. Alright, Van Streets Speed Stroke, provided by Atomic Stuff, closing out our rock block with Who Fucked Who? Who Fucked Who? Who Fucked Who? Who Fucked Who? 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 So, uh, we had a chance to come out of documentaries. Uh, first one that we checked out was Kitty. Um, it's called Origins, Evolutions, and I know it sounds a little silly to watch a doc on basically a band that really had as much chaos as just about any band could and they were really kind of like I don't know I guess they would be in a lower part of the totem pole with like the new metal scene mm -hmm. and all that stuff but uh, uh obviously an all-girl band that was formed in around 95 and 96 actually put out their first record in 98 I think or 99 uh it was certainly an interesting doc. Um, it's actually what I what, what the one takeaway that I had because you always hear these stories about band members and um, like bands in general having issues internally and replacing members, and they were really kind of sold on the four girl uh, fronted idea. band. Yeah. Um, there's going to be turmoil no matter who is in your band, and everybody has different ideas etc but what kind of made me laugh was i'm like there there might be metal women but they're still women and women like bicker yeah they bicker they you know i it wasn't that surprising to me that four women would not would not get along well for whatever reason i um i also i found it interesting that um at the very beginning, the two sisters, Morgan um, Mercedes. and Mercedes, they were like, they were the brainchild, I guess, of the band. And they really were holding like a really strong grip on everything creative. And that's where a few times, like there were a few ex-members who declined to be in the documentary. But at the beginning, like they really were... You know, they were writing the songs. They were really pushing the direction of the band. And other members who were in the band at the time, they were like... Feeling kind of left out. Yeah, they were feeling left out. They wanted to add their vision. And now, at that time, you know, in the early, you know, version of the band, the sisters did not want that. They wanted full, you know, creative control and just, like, have everybody else just do what they said. You know, band members would leave, then they'd replace them, um, and the same thing would happen. Especially, like, when they were kind of riding high. They had that first album went really well, they were playing at OzFest, and that went really well. And then, boom, they were supposed to go back into the studio, and the record label's like, you have to record, you know. And they're like, no, we, we really just want to tour. Well, it was interesting, they had two early members that were part of the group Fallon Bowman and uh, Talena Atfield and 
despite all the other stuff you're talking about, like those two particular girls, like at the time were girls, um, they're obviously more they're women now, but at the time, like you have to kind of remember they were all very young. They were in high school. So like it was kind of weird because they all wanted to be in a band, but then when they saw that it was actually work <laughs> mm-hmm. and they had to do a lot of different things and take a lot of their time, they kind of didn't want to be in it. They wanted to kind of like, which is really kind of surprising really when you look at the grand scheme of things because when they finally realized that like, you know what, I don't really want this. I don't want all this attention. I don't want, you know, all these fans, you know, I don't want to have to put in all this kind of work. I want to be a teenager. And for a couple of them, that's what they did. They just, the pressure got to them. They decided that it was not what they wanted, and they left. And uh, as Neko pointed out, you know, some of the other issues were, for a long time, Morgan and Mercedes controlled all the songwriting and how the, the vibe of the music was going to be. Now, for me personally, like, even though I was never a big Kitty fan, I do enjoy some tracks off the first two records, and it's generally the hits that they had. So... Brackish and Charlotte, those are probably my two favorite tracks off the debut. And then, of course, what I always wanted off Oracle, which to me, had they kind of remained in that vibe of like what I always wanted, like that particular type of sound with Morgan utilizing her clean and uh, rough vocals and the, the vibe of the music itself, I, if they would have just kind of stuck with that theme the rest of their career, I probably would have been more into them, uh, at least as far as following the band but with all the problems with their other members dropping out and they're having to go on these like like they ended up getting dropped from like uh labels because they couldn't fulfill their contracts like they had signed like a four record deal with somebody and then having nobody no basis or no guitars because of all the other issues they couldn't put any records out and then the other thing too is at at one point you know they were getting their shit back together and they had that girl lisa Mm-hmm. Um, she was the bassist, and she was a little bit older and a little bit more mature, but also a little wilder. But she also kind of like I feel because they saw that she was an, an established musician, and she's also still an established musician now, playing with different people. That kind of gave everyone—I don't want to say hope, but like it kind of solidified that yeah, this this band is is it. It's going to work. But they had to release her because they couldn't pay her retainer anymore. Yeah. And it wasn't even like, I don't think it was on bad terms or anything, but like they couldn't pay her retainer and Lisa really wanted to get involved in writing. But again, the girls were like, we, we, we hold all the creative control. So after that happened, and the, again, they're down, you know, a guitarist and a bassist, they started trying to shop themselves around differently. Like the, the two girls wanted, the Morgan and Mercedes wanted to do like maybe a more post-rock kind of sound, maybe a more, like, well, uh, singer-songwriter def- type feel to it. They were it. definitely going more mainstream mm-hmm. and stuff. They were kind of straying away from the really heavy stuff. And as, you know, early on, like, when they were dealing with their producers, like, they, despite their young age, they were still kind of butting heads here and there with different producers. And one of the thing is, like, labels wanted them to write more hits and so that was early on it was kind of like conflicting with them because they wanted to be heavier but then like as they got a little bit older it sort of they switched to to like oh well maybe we need to write more hits so we can make money so it's really weird how that all works um 
I've never been a big fan of people who decide all of a sudden that, well, we need to change our entire sound so we can make money. I, like, I don't mind if you like say to yourself, well, let's make a different project that's more mainstream, but if we're going to use Kitty as our outlet for our anger and aggression and the heavier stuff, then let's do that. Like, it, it just, I've never got the whole thing like just changing a, a band's sound for the sake but of But see, for, for, from their point, they were trying to not do Kitty. They, wanted, they didn't even want to be called Kitty. They, they wanted That's to true. just do something different. And through their connections that they had, they would go to the different labels and they're like, well, where's the heaviness? Where's where's the Kitty? And they're like, this isn't Kitty. And nobody wanted their new sound. So they said, all right, we're going to keep this train rolling. We're going to keep Kitty. They got a new bassist and a new guitarist. But during this iteration, the sisters were... And it might just be to, due to being older and maturity. They were more open to things. Like, they would get into the to the recording studio and listen to things that were happening that their bassist or, or their other guitarist might start, you know, putting out there. And they were, like, starting to use other material in the songs other than their own. And I think that was kind of, like, a humbling point for them where they realized, like... They want Kitty. They got to keep Kitty. So we're going to, like, you know, again, maybe maturity. But they started letting other band members, which is one of the things that they were fighting about initially when they were younger. But now that they're a little bit older, they're kind of like, okay, we're going to start being a little bit more, um, I don't know, flexible. Instead of just being so rigid and just so, like, this is our way or the highway. And what I also found really interesting was Mercedes and Morgan Stad was their band member, manager, excuse me, and he was really instrumental in, like, keeping the band afloat. Like, and usually when you have all these family members involved, it, it, it's kind of like a nightmare. Yeah, usually, because they're either going to exploit you because they know there's money involved or... They don't want any part of it because it, you know, they don't care for the music or whatever. But their dad, they're like, he he was so important to them, and we found out in uh, 2008 he suddenly passed away of a massive heart attack, and it really affected the the band and the group girls. And he decided, I think, after they got and were, I guess, responding and recovering from the sudden death. That's when they started, like, really putting a lot of their emotion, I guess. Like, sometimes they were saying they'd just go into the studio and see what sticks, but now it felt like they were really trying to have a voice and do do more. Um, because I know that Morgan, when she was talking about, like, this album after her dad passed, it was a huge inspiration for that album. Yeah, I think, you know, the funny thing is when it comes to Kitty, like... For the most part, I could really care less about the rest of the band. And that's not to say they're bad, but Morgan was always the one that I thought was like the the most talented and you know the most versatile as a singer. And I can appreciate she's done some like collaboration work later in later years with different bands and artists, which is always good. But there was something in the doc that troubled me a little bit, and you know this could be just because it's third doc. It could be just this guy was kind of like kissing ass or. 
you know, maybe he just sees it a whole different way. But I, I it could, I just see his laziness of not researching. But the guy, I can't remember his name, but he was working for a particular magazine. He's one of the guys that was in the dock, you know, commenting here and there about the band and how important they were to the scene. And why I think Kitty was important at the time as far as, like, being in the new metal uh, genre and, you know, at least being thrown in that group. Because they were, like you said, they were at Ozfest. They were doing all this stuff. They were opening for some big acts at, at young age. So it's a very right. They're only in their teens, but the thing, the guy, the thing, that kind of rubbed me the wrong way is the guy was like, "This, you know, Kitty was the band that paid the way for women in metal." And I, I thought that's very disingenuous. And I'm not trying to take anything away from the band itself, but when you make comments like that, it comes off a little naive and ignorant because there are so many women in rock and metal that actually actually paved the way for that so like kitty was great for what they were but they weren't like just all of a sudden born out of nothing you know you had doral pesh joan jett lita ford uh bands like rock bitch uh it's the right away so many bands that i actually discovered in the last decade that were far more important to the the female scene uh wendy o williams uh, it, there's just there's so many more that were more impactful and, and actually set that bar that so bands like Kitty could actually exist. And I just felt that was kind of a bad thing for that guy to kind of make that comment. And again, it could be just because he's actually being interviewed for that doc that he decided he's going to kiss a little ass on Yeah, he was probably trying just to pump them up. You Maybe. Know? But, uh, I mean, you know, look... It, I can appreciate all the hardships that that band Kitty went through. Uh, it is an eye-opening when you see some of the shit that happened with them. And it is kind of funny, too, because because of their youth at the time. Like, when you see some of these other docs, when we talk about, like, I saw one for L7. Like, there's they were so young that with that kind of stardom comes a lot of, like, pressure. And they were kids. Like, they, you know, they were still goofing off, doing things that kids do. And so I understand a lot of that as well. Like, it's, it can be very hard, especially for women. So they probably dealt with a lot of bad shit that went along the way Well, I mean, well. they had a bad contract with Jack Ponty. They had to buy him out of his, uh, out of their contract because... It, the they did not get along with him. And their producing was, like, really awful. I think that's um, uh, Trish Doan, who, unfortunately, she passed away um, their basis, yeah. a couple of years ago. She worked with them during this Jack Ponty uh, era, I guess, and she was like, she was struggling with anorexia and um, I think substance abuse and, and depression all during that time, and she left the band to get better, and after probably five years after, you know, she had been, you know, sought treatment and everything, their other bassist left and they they brought trish back too but then again because this band you know they're not they haven't been touring very actively they're kind of like a mid-level you know not a brand new band people know who they are and they still can probably rest on their laurels a little bit by just having that notoriety but they weren't working all the time and everything and trish was not even in the united states at the time so it, it's really interesting to see how like at one point, they were kind of rising, and they rose to mediocrity afterwards. <laughs> that sounds terrible, but it just all kind of like, they became a mid-level band, which is not bad. I mean, I'm sure other artists who are unknown, they getting to a mid-level is perfect, but 
I for me when I listen to like the last three records they put out, like I'm not that all impressed, and it was disappointing because you know I talked with you a little bit when we were watching it that you know obviously the first two records are bare basic in terms of like okay this is us kind of feeling our way with what we were trying to accomplish you know we got the heavy stuff and we got a little melody in there and whatnot and when i again when i listen to a song like what i always wanted that that song itself encapsulates everything that i think that kids should like focus on like if they were to do another record like i know they've come out and said that because of the passing of trish that they probably won't do it anymore but if they were to do another record, like, and they wanted to get back to the basics, I, I think that's where they should start. Like, the stuff that they did, they may have, you know, gone up the charts on the mainstream radio or whatever. I don't remember how well they actually did with those records, but to me, it was never really kitty. It was just like a band that really kind of lost its way. They were trying to please so many different aspects of what was going on, not only for them to be successful, but for their labels because you know let's face it labels do put a lot of pressure on these bands to make hit singles because they're trying to get money from what's going on exactly that's what that's literally what happened happened to them they were they were in their contract and they're like make more music like right. that they they where kitty was like not ready to make more music well, they and fallon kind of pointed out she's like look you know, we were just coming off a tour, and they were telling us to start getting in there writing again. We just, we, we needed downtime. Like, we, it's not something we could just shovel out. We have to kind of, like, work at it to mm-hmm. make this music. And it's funny, because we, we look at some of these other artists out there, and a lot of them kind of now pass on the whole, like, label thing, because they, they want to do things in their own time. They don't want to be... I, I know Devin, like... When he did the Black Album, which was the last Strapping Young Lad, like, he kicked that out fast, and he did it because he was so angry at the label doing the same fucking shit that they do to Kitty, and once he was done with, you know, his obligation to that label for Strapping Young Lad stuff, he's like, I'm done. Like, I'm gonna go do my own shit. Well, that's the other thing, too. Like, the the labels expect production. Mm -hmm. We want you to have production. Okay. How can you, like... But a lot of times it's unrealistic because... Exactly. How can you be productive when you're not giving anyone any time? Like, creative just doesn't come to you. And then it and then it gets rushed, and it's not as good as before. And then the label blames you. So it's like a vicious circle, mm-hmm. basically. And I, you know, I've never been a huge Kitty fan. I don't think they're terrible, I, but I don't love them. I'm kind of, like, in the middle with them. And for me, I, like, it was it was very interesting to see like first of all they had so much behind the scene footage that they just shot themselves i guess because they were teenagers what do teenagers do like they they fuck around and have video cameras yeah. and i which I, in a lot of ways is good because you document your mm-hmm. your journey as a musician throughout the years and you know that's not uncommon now it's probably harder for you know when we see like older docs from like 70s or 60s bands like they have some footage but it's not like on the level it is now you know, you watched that Bruce Lee doc and seeing some of that footage was incredible. Like, you know, we're like, wow, that's the first time I've ever seen it. It looked like Bruce Lee, he, he had his own uh, brownie, I guess is what they the the old uh, movie reel. And he would, it, a lot of times, the stuff it looks like he was recording of himself was to uh, check his form and make sure he's doing things right. Right. But, like, with, the, with this, my, I kind of guess, like, my final thoughts on everything... 
I feel like because they had so much footage and they had, you know, so much information about like their past, watch this even if you are not a Kitty fan because it really does open your eyes and give you a good behind the scenes of what happens in a band. Like, this is not your typical like Motley Crue, Poison, whatever, where we're drug drugged out every night and fucking a bunch of girls. These are just young teenage girls who who like to play metal music who kind of bonded over it. And regardless, because a lot of times that you see these, these bands breaking up, it's because somebody is, you know, always high or always drunk or always having issues or blah, blah, blah. This shows you without a lot of external, you know, substance abuse or wives or kids or whatever, there's always going to be problems and it, it can be anything from the label to the producers the managers etc and this is really it has so much information and so much behind the scenes footage that you can really feel the struggles that and not again not just kitty but any band and this you could just say like this would happen in any band that is trying to be out there yeah i mean it's you know obviously pretty overwhelming for a group of girls to kind of get and they, they kind of just you know, they talked about early on when they were still in high school and they had formed a band and they were doing a talent show and they were hesitant to even do it because just nervousness. Like, they mm-hmm. they weren't sure how they would be received. And, you know, obviously when they went to do it, there was some label dudes there and they were like, dude, yeah, I, I think we can uh, do something with you all. And so, I mean, it took them by surprise and they ran with it. So, you know, they've done, they've done okay. They've dealt with their ups and downs, but they've done okay. And... Even if you're not a Kitty fan, like, whenever we talk about different topics here, no matter what they are, like, if you're even remotely interested in music, no matter what the genre, you know, we won't steer you wrong. So, like, even just to watch this doc about this particular band is just more for information purposes than anything. It's just something interesting to check out if you're even remotely interested in the scene in general. So, obviously... Uh, there's other docs out there dealing with all sorts of different types of metal and rock, which we also recommend as long as it's good. <laughs> so, okay, we're going to get back into another block here, so definitely check that out. It's called Origins Evolutions. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was contacted by vocalist Andreas Pina from the band Target from Chile, and um, I had a chance to check out, check out their album. Um, it's called Deep... Water Flames, it's a technical death metal band out of Chile, and they are fucking fantastic. I'm really happy about this, excited to play this track for you all. Um, I think this came out in 2019, actually, so it's not brand new, but uh, it's pretty new. So I I, I think we're going to kick off our next block with them. They're very cool. Um, Here we go. (laughs) (laughs) Jump in. Jump in.
Listening to the hordes of chaos only on Metal Tavern Radio. Pump it. Alright. Closing out that block, Clockwork Sky, provided by One Eye Toad Records, and before that, Kalahari provided by a new group, PR group that we're working on called The Metalist. So nice. that's new stuff that they sent us. Much appreciated. We're glad to play anything you guys can throw at us. DJ Anubis here with you. And DJ Neko. And we got a couple more things to get to you before we get back to the music. First thing is, of course, uh, we were teasing a little bit about the Netflix series Dark. Uh, I'm sure some people have seen that and some haven't, but... It's a complete mindfuck. It's a German TV show that I think actually was made for Netflix. Like, it, it didn't air in Germany and then Netflix picked it up. I think Netflix actually... Well, I think some of the stuff that I've read that it did start in Germany, but, like, it was a collaboration between a couple of guys who... One had a, a vision of making a movie, the other one wanted a series, and then they just kind of doing it together and then got together with Netflix to make it a series. And uh, it's a, it's influenced by Twin Peaks a little bit, which makes total sense mm-hmm. at this point. So, Honestly, we could do a whole separate podcast on what is going on in Dark, and I might actually look for a podcast that talks about Dark. It is very well written. And the stuff that, like, happens, you know that they worked hard and planned. Because it's three seasons right now. I think the third season is the final season. But you can tell that they have been thinking about this for a long time. The way that it's starting to all come together. Um, 
basically children it's a small town in germany and children just start vanishing without any kind of information and as they start seeing things happening like they start seeing these uh these children vanish and then reappear years and years later or these children vanish and they appear years and years in the past you start following these different timelines all from different um like it's all 33 years in between each but it, you know one time it's 1888 then it's 1912 uh, 2019 2020 then into the future of course there's a little bit of apocalypse type things thrown into there I highly recommend anyone watch it and honestly I really like stuff like this you have to really kind of pay attention and like we were saying earlier I there's different Wikipedia's and wikis and fandoms that you have to like I find it makes it easier for me to understand their story without even without giving a lot of spoilers like looking at these wikis because then I'm like alright who is that person we're in a different you know timeline it's kinda crazy but I love stuff like that yeah, you know, reading up in a little bit, the series apparently was apparently planned just to be three seasons, and one of the reasons for that was they didn't want to continue on like Lost did, maybe the reason for that. So sometimes when you drag series out, they lose their way, lose the fans. Mm -hmm. So in order to keep it together with their like original thinking was just three seasons, so that's how they planned it out. Uh, one good thing is when they went to go do this with the casting, they didn't really know any German actors, so Netflix granted them creative freedom to go and choose whoever they wanted, and there's a lot of people that I'm not really familiar with, but you may see down the road, because there's like a lot of great acting in it. Uh, I really have no problem with the characters in general being portrayed the way they are, so... Especially, like, when you start running into, like, different timelines and different... Uh, you see how the same character is being portrayed and acted differently by the same actor but they're in different like time i keep saying timelines but there's like it's more to just like to it than just like time travel and different uh yeah it's 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 going all over the place and we really don't want to give too much away because i mean it's hard to give too much away because you just got to pay attention really close to this shit but uh yeah there's just twists and turns everywhere and it does deal with time travel to uh, some extent uh it's darker than, say, like, Stranger Things or, you know, Twin Peaks is kind of dark, but, you know, some comparisons are Stranger Things and stuff like that, but, you know, that's, they're clearly dark, is much darker. And, and I, I also feel like, yes, a time travel show is not, like, the uh, most original, like, because there's time travel in all kinds of different movies and stuff, but the way that they've kind of, they've kind of broken the rules with time travel, like, they say, um... You know, when when you go back in time, like you're not supposed to go see your your past self or um, the timeline that you like the you know and all like the Doctor Strange and well, we see Back that. to the Future. And yeah, we see a lot of that changing now though, because like you know, early Harry Potter. So like, um, what was it? The second movie. Uh, you're the Harry Potter expert. No, the third man. one. Prisoner Escalon, they had the time travel a little bit there. Um, but then, like, 
as you said, other movies you weren't supposed to cross over because mm-hmm. that was a bad thing. But then we saw like with uh, the newer version of Star Trek, you know, Spock was actually standing right in front of his younger self. Um, now we have like this where you actually can uh, confront your younger or older selves and you're sharing information. And that's the thing that's kind of both creepy and crazy about this particular show because it not just it doesn't just like change how things play out but uh it sets it up for other things like just like other worlds uh, it just nothing is going to remain the same and now you have like basically and this is the only thing we can really tell you with certainty is that <laughs> You could literally be fighting against yourself because there's two teams to all this. Like, there's one world that wants it to be one way, and then another world that wants it to be the other, and then they're using. The they're, s- they're fighting each other, right? Like, you can, and they're going in and out of each other's timelines so right. that they can get their, uh, I guess, the edgy advantage. Yeah, they're they're like trying to get their agenda, in, yeah, imprinted yeah. on the other timelines, and but then you realize that there's. Um, alliances being formed and you're like oh this dude was all the way back in this time but now he's all the way in the future at this time but it, and like, it's actually quite good because while the show kind of leads you in one direction in terms of like oh yeah this person's really bad you don't really know that anymore because because of how open-ended it is with both sides like you don't really know who's actually good and who is bad like it's just and it's and, and they're not even trying to like push the quote-unquote good and bad agenda at all it's not like this is god this is the devil it's more like they want to the, you see these two timelines like intertwined by the the rope as they call it or whatever the knot that they and they want their side of the knot to be the one that uh survives and they want to kind of destroy these uh, this other timeline but what ends up happening is people from the other timeline are interfering in the older timeline or the newer timeline and they're crossing over between the two things and then there's an origin and they're trying to just you figure out how to destroy the origin in one timeline one person exists in another timeline another person exists it's it's an interesting uh how, how, how should you put it like concept yeah it's a it's an interesting concept but it, it it's there's no way to just be like oh this is the story of dark it's not that simple and i highly recommend it though yeah. like i'm not saying it but it you are going to get go in and you have to pay attention and you have to if it's not like casual watching like the office yeah i'll say that right now like because you have the third season up like we watched our first season this is some of the problems with netflix at times because when you watch a season of something and you're really into it there's this break until mm-hmm. you get the second or third or whatever and that's what happens a show like this you're probably better off just brainstorming through all of them because you'll your mind will be fresh for each series whereas like when you have to worry about months on end waiting for the next season to begin like you've already forgotten kind of what happens and we, that happens to a lot with us a lot. Oh, I mean, I'm trying to think of another one that we're like... Well, Stranger like, Things, same thing. You yeah, know, we, we get so involved, we love the show, but then like we're like, okay, well, what the fuck happened? Well, last, this time last year, Stranger Things uh, premiered. Right. And we haven't... I mean, clearly with 
the pandemic, they they probably have things production on hold. Yeah, so it, it just but like I, I think it's gonna be easier for people now to check this series out because if it's the third season, we're like we're not quite done with the third season. But if you're someone who's interested in this show, now's the time just to blow through it because you've got all of them there. Like you don't have to wait like months on end to to continue what's going on because we we kind of like stalled after the first season because we both knew that we had already forgotten half of the shit that was happening in the first season and trust me i am re-watching this season from beginning to end because yeah, I, I thought it was due to the whole fucking series that's what now. i mean yeah. like I'm, I'm start i'm i think i'm going to start with season one because now i i understand what's happening yeah. You're gonna. I'm gonna pick up things that I missed, right? And that that I want to do. Yeah, it's it's a thinking show, mm-hmm. it's, but it's got a lot of great visuals. Uh, like I said, great acting. Um, it, but it can be confusing if you turn your head for one second. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa! What what did that guy just do? Who is he? Who? That's your thing because they're jumping from different uh, decades. He's like, all right, who is this person? Well, they're dealing with three different decade or yeah, three different time periods in one line. Four. And, when they went back to 1888 too, oh, that's and right. then to the future, that's one, yeah. So five, so five. But then there's like two section, two separate timelines, uh, world lines, I guess you'd call it. But either way, it's worth checking out. Uh, it's interesting to say the least. Now uh, the other doc that we got to was both Kitty and this one called Get Thrash were ones that I've been sitting on my list on Prime for a while. They're now. Uh, free on Prime, so if you have Prime, you can watch them. Before, you would have to pay for them, so I kind of just held off. And I'm glad that Neko was home to watch these. So, uh, Get Thrash is a documentary that was put out about the whole uh, early 80s uh, to early 90s thrash scene, which basically, if you're a thrash fan, you love all that stuff that you know set the pace for where we are today. And... Uh, while it doesn't necessarily cover a lot of new ground, um, it does have some interesting things in there. Lots of good pictures, lots of good um, video footage, too, that they've been able to, you know, borrow for this documentary from people. Right, and they actually do have some interviews with uh, the guys in Metallica who were, like, one of the early uh, creators of the scene. Um, there's also the talk between, like, how the L.A. scene affected the New York scene and the crossover stuff like that um, you know one thing that gets pointed out like for me personally when I talk about how I saw the Clash of the Titans tour uh, in 91 with uh, Anthrax Slayer and Megadeth and then House and Chains opening up I did not know at the time or had forgotten that House and Chains wasn't really even scheduled to be on that bill it was supposed to be Death Angel and then they got in a, a car accident or a bus accident, and they couldn't do it. So I was telling Neko about how, like, when I watched that show at Red Rocks, like, you know, I grew, like, uh, a new appreciation for Allison Change that day because it actually was before they even blew up into what they became. Uh, they were obviously getting ready to tour for Facelift, which was a very interesting record. Uh, I think I actually went and purchased it not too long after that concert because there was some interesting stuff they were doing. It's not thrash, obviously, but the the shit that the band put up with that day from the fans and from what I understand happened that entire, entire tour uh, is a testament to them and their professionalism and how they handled all that. And even the other bands on the bill, Megadeth and all them, were all very... Uh, 
uh, proud for what they had done. They were very happy and complimented them on how they handled all that situation as well. The one thing that we found interesting was uh, once bands like Alice in Chains and Soundgarden and all them got big, they didn't bother to take any metal bands out to open up for them. Yeah, and it felt it felt like you were saying, <coughs> excuse me, that the grunge bands and um, like the post rock and all that was kind of getting big in the '90s, kind of overshadowed the metal, and because they were like out there and they're doing these huge festivals now which the metal bands were doing you know like you just said the metal bands were kind of like pushed to the back burner and they felt no support from these new musicians who without kind of the blueprint that they gave and you know the notoriety that they once had they were just kind of ignored yeah. And I, you know, you and I talk about this, we actually just talked about this yesterday with Krypton Scully, like, with with Judas Priest, how I thought that they just kind of were done at the, in, in, at the end of the 80s. And that's kind of what en- ends up happening to these metal bands, because the grunge scene was just so large that you kind of lose the story of metal in the 90s. Yeah, it was just, you know, you listen to Scott Ian talk about how, you know, they kind of felt slighted because, you know, they took ASE out there and then when ASE became really big, um, you know, it was like, well, they kind of expected them to kind of help the metal bands by throwing them out there, but then they just kind of ignored them now. Not sure if, like, you know, the members are all hateful to one another at this stage, but... I can see why it would a little be a bit of a bothersome. And I talked about this last night, as you said. Well, when I saw Metallica in 2001 for the Sanitarium tour, like, they didn't have any grunge bands opening, but they had all these other uh, modern new metal acts, Korn, Kid Rock, uh, System of a Down, whatever. And that's fine, because, you know, they wanted to appeal to some of the younger audience, but I always feel like those are missed opportunities to help the underground metal scene which you know Metallica despite all the Napster and all this other shit like they made a living off tape trading and then and the word on the underground they were I remember when I listened to a guy who said he saw Ozzy Osbourne in 86 uh, in concert and they how Metallica had come on and just blew him right the fuck off the stage like if not for Ozzy doing stuff like that and taking Metallica, that probably they would have never probably been where they were. Like it's just. Well, I also think too um, with the development of Ozfest, with that you know touring festival, early two thousands, that's kind of what helped bring metal back. You know, you got you've got Ozzy there, pushing like with Kitty, like pushing. The, the metal scene backing your faces and then that's where you know I think we've seen recently how metal may not be like the mainstream thing that you go to immediately but now that it's kind of like they have they had their platform at Ozfest and you have your like metal diehards like us who we want to go to these concerts and support and you know buy the merch it's almost like there was a little bit of a silence, and then they're back with a vengeance. 
But one thing you and I were talking about, too, with the music from the 80s, um, the thrash music from the 80s, it really holds up. Like, something that, like, I was saying For Whom the Bell Tolls, mm-hmm. one, of, one of my favorite Metallica songs, and it doesn't sound, to me at least, I, I could have a wrong, not wrong, but opinion, but, you know, it's my opinion that these, these songs are timeless. Now, granted, I loved grunge, and I really liked ska, which ska and grunge and that kind of like 90s feel, post-rock, etc. type stuff. I can't remember the last time I just said, I'm going to listen to some Nirvana or Mighty Mighty Boss Tones or even Sublime. Like, they've always been my favorite band forever. And I haven't really had the need or the desire to pop in a Sublime CD or you know, just start listening to Sublime because there's so many new acts out there that, you know, as you consume new new music, I consume new music, but then I feel like the newer music that we have now kind of harkens back to the roots of metal more than, or maybe even roots of music more than, like, what grunge. Grunge was, like, this blip. Actually, it's not, you're not far off because, like, you know, as I dive deeper back into like some of those are like there's like I was telling Crypt last night you know I'm putting together a thrash list for Thrash Zone and like I had never listened to Sabat or even Early Corner and when I was checking them out seeing what kind of tunes I might want to play they're fucking quite good like it's just like I knew people always told me to check them out but I just never got around to it so as you said I'm kind of reverting back to the old days of like you know, the 80s and early 90s of that stuff. And then I see these other bands that you've noticed where I'm buying these vinyls of these modern rock bands that have this old 70s classic rock vibe. So even with the newer bands, if they've got, they're paying homage to a lot of the older stuff that I grew up on. So it's like I really dig that a lot. So, you know, it's when it comes to the grunge stuff, yeah, I still appreciate a lot of it during that time. But um, at this stage, like, you know, the funny thing about Alternative and Grunge is it's kind of died out just as fast as it was there. Uh, it really, to me, only lasted about six years in the 90s before it finally fell off the map. I mean... And I feel like new Metal kind of... I don't think it was... Well, that was probably even shorter. Like, I think from... Well, well but I mean, with uh, with Grunge, I don't think new Metal, like, s- sprang up from Grunge, but I'm th- thinking more like it was kind of like the... Uh, encore of grunge something so different that it 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 had its own like it's like grunge and it does have its sort of relationship because you know deftones started out more in the new metal stuff and then they sort of just came into this post-rock type of thing um you know some of these other bands they, they they have this fine line between alternative rock nirvana never mind is like a very varied album like you can find a little bit of punk in it. You can yeah, well, listen to Bleach. Bleach is before Nevermind. It's very punky. Like, right. So they were kind of doing all these things. Faith No More, same thing. They were all kind of starting to do these different things where they were dabbling in metal and whatnot and, of course, hip-hop and all that other stuff. So grunge, despite sort of being its own thing, I mean, even with, like, Soundgarden, they had Jesus Christ pose, which is almost like a metal song. Uh, on Bad Motorfinger, but then the rest of it's more of the stuff that you're used to hearing. 
So it, it's very interesting about the, how the scene changed, but thrash in general, like just during that time, like they were really, you know, from the interviews, they were really kind of surprised at how much of it took off and how it was received and that they were actually all fighting against the hard rock and glam rock of the late 80s and then of course to some extent the, the grunge stuff of the early 90s they were like still trying to fight to keep their turf i think that's yeah you're making a really good point because remember in the documentary they were saying like if you were a, a metal guy you were a thrasher and you wore the the thrasher and then there's the hardcore kids and there would be a lot of fights between different uh genres or you know they tried to put like mix the bills together and they had uh like eight different literal fights like big brawls in this in this venue and nowadays we're seeing like all walks of life at metal concerts and and festivals you know anybody from remember they were like there was an accountant there was a lawyer mm -hmm. there was yeah. a, a nurse it was all all different and i i'm glad that as a metal society we've kind of i don't want to say accepted but like every it's not like you can only listen to thrash metal and that's the only metal and blah 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 I think everybody kind of has a little bit of um, <coughs> variance in their in their musical tastes. So, you know, you have it's it's okay to like you know I like some pop music. You you guys have all heard that, and now people are kind of like accepting it. Like, you're not just the thrasher anymore. Well, that's the funny thing about rock and metal now. Like over the years, like there's such a. <laughs> Even back then when they didn't really notice that there was a close relationship between all of it, um, people don't often realize how much punk influenced Napalm Death, um, you know, and their sound and everything, but they just took it to another level. Now we're in 2020, and you're not, you're not shocked anymore when you see, like, maybe a crossover punk band with a, a black metal speed metal band or a death metal band. MDF has done a kind of a good job of starting to mix a lot of different genres up. They haven't quite gone over the edge with, like, power metal or anything, but in terms of, like, keeping similar themed bands with, like, crossover influences, it, it's not shocking to see a band like Ghost appear there or whatever, so... I mean, they really have with uh, the Maryland Death Fest tried to hit not just death metal but think of all the different you know like you were saying Ghost was there they've really tried to spread out the genre yep I mean I get it some people are just into one particular genre over another and that's fine there's plenty of festivals that do that but uh, with so much so many bands especially now crossing over into one other and dipping their toes in different genres it's like it's getting harder and harder to like just stick with one particular format. I mean, there are bands out there that do that. If you want Brutal Death, you can often find them just grouped together. But, you know, there's for the rest of us, there's like always a. Even people that we talk to now and other different bands, like we talked about Josh with Atomic World earlier, like there's so many different influences coming into that music that you just can't really pin it down that much anymore. So it's kind of interesting, it's kind of cool at the same time. One thing I found uh, pretty, I guess, from the documentary, I, I, interesting or uh, obvious, down in uh, the L.A. scene, which was really where the hair rockers were kind of 
you know, dominating in the 80s. They, they moved a little bit north to the Bay Area, and that's kind of where the Thrashers were, were kind of taking hold almost of their turf. And everybody was like, death to posers, and it was, I, I love seeing these types of origins, and again, because I was a kid when all of the, like a kid kid in elementary school when all of this was happening, you actually got to live it a little bit because you were a teenager, so for me, watching these things and I'm like, oh god, I really liked that song. It came out in 86 and I was not even six years old yet. Well, it was funny when you mentioned the whole, like, um, you know, Metallica, they wanted to escape L.A. because they just didn't fit into that particular scene, so mm -hmm. they went to San Fran. Now, when I watched the L7 doc, they had a similar experience around that time uh, because... I can't remember if they were in L.A. or San Fran, but what they said was exactly the same. They said, look, we're not playing anything that's really resonating with anybody here. No one likes us. So the girls all said, basically, well, in Seattle, they're playing our kind of shit. We need to go up there. And that's exactly what they did. Yeah, because you need to go where you're going to have your audience. If you are trying to, you know, it's a tough decision when you're struggling to make money as a musician, but if you're not booking venues, then you're kind of fucked. Right. And plus, I mean, there's, you know, if you're not into the scene, like, you know, some, like, I don't know, it's funny watching some other bands like Alice in Chains who start out as, like, the hair rock stuff and then morphing into their grunge era stuff, but it, it was kind of cool that one of those bands, they made the dedication to themselves to say, look, we're just not going to do it here. we got to go somewhere else. We're not going to get the... the type of uh you know fan base that we really want so but it's a, it's a worthy doc to check out it's called get thrashed um i loved it and it's good for you so check it out back to some music uh i got some stuff from horror pain in here angel pr and more vlad kick it off though with some brand new stuff called band called medicated fallen one and here we go Why? Why you do it? Why? Why you do it? Turn me inside out. This time, this is the last. 
This is Sky Nielsen Promotions. I offer the most affordable, effective, independent metal promotions one can find. If you've got a metal band, project, or art that you want promoted, simply search for Sky Nielsen Promotions. And you're listening to Hordes of Chaos on Metal Tavern Radio. She's in love with herself.
surface. Ode to the Sun. Scour down through the Krypton Scully show on Metal Mania. DJ Nibis. And DJ Neko. Getting ready to call it a day. A lot of good stuff to get to today. Great interview with Josh Hansen of Atomic Werewolf. Much appreciated. Hope you all enjoyed this episode, and we will be working on our next one as soon as we can. Yep, we hope to bring you lots of good content over the summer, and as long as I'm home, I'm going to keep doing these. Um, it was kind of cool, though, a couple of times. Remember, I got to call in and do like a little chit-chat with you a few times, but it's so much more fun doing it while I'm live in the studio with my man, DJ Anubis. All right, all. Appreciate you checking us out, tuning in, and we'll let you all get back to your regular lives with one track left for you. Happy 4th of July. Yeah. Sight of emptiness, new stuff, her smell. Here we go. Must smell. <laughs> <laughs> 